And for sure. For sure. For sure. For sure. For sure. For sure. And for sure. For sure. For sure. For sure. And for sure. For sure. Sure. For sure. And for sure. For sure, for sure, for sure. Welcome to another episode of For Sure, a 200-foot podcast. I'm Peter. And I'm the decaying husk of hockey exhaustion, but still excited remains of Jay. <laughs> so, Pete, that's right. We are a full week into these, the NHL playoffs, uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, I, I, whatever we want to nationally, officially call it. I don't care. The stuff where there's the Stanley Cup at the end. So uh, some developments have been made, but uh, we'll get to those in just a little bit. I think so far, this has been really entertaining. I think after the first two games of a bunch of these series, I was a little worried about them maybe ending a little too soon. But the hockey gods have blessed us with continued hockey, uh, at least on the East Coast side of things. On the West Coast, things have been a little bit snappier. So um, I... I've been entertained. I've watched whenever I could. There's really something magical about those times where 500 NHL playoff games are starting all at the same time, you know, as God intended, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. So uh, it's uh, that that's pretty much my biggest bugaboo to this point because I would think that, you know, you want to get as many eyes on as many games as possible. But, you know, it's... Uh, I've been using this analogy a bunch over the last week, and I'm surprised I have yet another situation where I'm now forced to say it again. But it's the NHL isn't looking for one way to fix the playoffs. They're looking for 15,000 ways not to fix them, (laughs) just like Edison and the light bulb. So so those are my thoughts so far. What are your feelings? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to I'm going to start off by just uh, piggybacking on what you said about the start times, because that is that has been very frustrating. So, like, for example, we are recording this on Sunday. Uh, it's going to come out tomorrow. And yesterday, I, I, you know, pick up the NHL schedule. Uh, when by pick up the NHL schedule, I mean I go to NHL.com and look at the top and see what time the games are on. And there's two East Coast games. There's two early games. And um, I was, I'd, you know, probably be interested in seeing both of them. And they start at the same time. They both start at 3 o'clock. So... In the intermission, depending, you know, if uh, one of the one of the games has maybe a a review or something, you know, some stoppage of, pe- of play for a long period of time, it's not going to fully overlap. So maybe I could watch a few minutes of the second game while I'm in the intermission of the first game. But it's just it's just frustrating. I mean, I mean, at least make it so. The game I was most interested in was the Washington Columbus game yesterday, and so it would have been nice if. During the intermission, I could flip over and for the 15 minutes or so, I could watch the Devils and uh, the Lightning, but it was not to be so. So, I mean, for me, that that is definitely one of the one of the more annoying things. But like you said, there are some really good series. The um, for somebody like me who lives in the Northeast, the. Western conference series being over quickly is, is, is kind of cool because then I get to be able to watch, you know, most of the games that they're showing. Uh, I don't have to worry about staying up later. 
And yeah, so I mean, I think there's definitely some interesting series. Um, we're gonna we're gonna go through the series so far, not super in depth, but we're gonna take them one at a time. So uh, let's start off in the east, and let's start off with the one series in the east that is over: Tampa Bay versus uh, New Jersey. They took them out in five games. Basically, the Devils had a really good, a very strong performance in game three. Other than that, there wasn't too much, too much doubt that the lightning were going to win this series. Like most people predicted. Uh, so Jay, what, what were your thoughts on this series? I mean, it, it, it was, yeah. I mean, it went the way I think we, we all thought it was going to, I mean, some had them getting the brooms out, but you know, Hey, good, good for New Jersey to, to get to get one win for the Gipper, aka Taylor Hall, you know, <laughs> it was uh, you know a, a nice a nice uh, feather to put in their cap. But you know, this was this was uh, all. <laughs> what's the term? Uh, this is this is the uh, where where the bell finally tolls, right? Like like you weren't really sure, like. It's almost like New Jersey and Vegas were kind of in the same boat where like they were kind of on like really, really questionably improbable runs, right? You're like, mm-hmm. New Jersey is doing what? With who? With so with what? And then you then you kind of look at the same thing with Vegas and you're like, what? Huh? <laughs> so this one seemed like the the most obvious example of the universe correcting its course. But um yeah, I it's the Tampa Bay Lightning, man. It's this is as <laughs> uh, a foregone conclusion or a Garfon conclusion, as as they say in the in the joke books. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I I was entertained. It's it's uh it's great to see what type of product uh, all the Red Wings fans get to look forward to in a couple of years when Eisman comes back and is our GM. So <laughs> it's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think it's um definitely definitely what we expected. Like you said, I would not have been surprised at all to see this series end in a sweep. But at the same time, New Jersey had a a much better season than they have in some time. They were definitely a much more entertaining team to watch than they have been in some time. So it was nice to see them at least get get to have a playoff win at home for for their fan base uh and for for Taylor Hall I mean to he basically carried his team on the back in that game on his on his back in that game they won like he has for most of the season and uh, you know at some point you just can't do it anymore so <laughs> yes. so so that's that one that was over in 5 the next series is Boston and Toronto now as we record this the uh the, the stands at 3 to 2 last night uh, Toronto went out to a huge lead. They ended up being up four to one, which is a an expression that uh, strikes fear into the hearts of pretty much every Maple Leaf fan, especially against Boston. And <laughs> they went up four one, and they managed to almost blow it, allowing Boston back into it, getting down to four to three. Uh, with a a chance to tie it at the end, and somehow the Leafs managed to hold on. So right now that series is uh, three to two. Boston is leading, and that's uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens here. Can Toronto come back? Boston has looked really really good. Both teams have had some uh, some player uh, personnel uh, losses. For example. Uh, 
sorry. On, on the Toronto side, Nazem Kadri took himself out of the series uh, for three games. We'll talk in our next sec- uh, our next segment. We're going to talk about the Department of Player Safety, so we'll talk about that play there. Patrice Bergeron had a mystery ailment that kept, uh, kept him out of a game. He is now back in the series. Game six is tomorrow night, as in Monday night. And so is that going to be a closing out game? Do you think that the Toronto Maple Leafs fans are going to experience heartbreak at home? Or uh, are they going to be able to uh, bring it back to Boston for a game seven? What do you think? This series is going exactly as I prophesized just two short weeks ago, Peter. This is, this is happening. It's, it's all happening. I am, I am, I'm the GIF. You're the Ron Paul GIF? Yep. You took the words right out of my mouth. It's all (laughs) happening. Uh, I think this is still going to go seven. I think uh, for a moment there, I thought you were like, so are the Leaf fans going to experience heartbreak at home or are they going to experience heartbreak in Boston? (laughs) So, so that, that's, that's, those are all very real things. Um, I am, uh, you already said it. Boston looks great, right? I mean, Mm. if they can keep everybody, you know, playing, right? Like they, they, they should be able to uh, take this series, but you know, if, if, if I, I think the Leafs are going to do, I think they're going to do pretty good at home to push it to seven, but I'm fairly confident that the effort it's going to take to get it to seven is going to drain them. Like, like I drain, blue drinks at dark and misty bars when I'm trying to find the Zodiac killer. All right. It's not, it's not Aqua Velva. You'd like it if you tried it. Okay. So I, I, I think that it is going to go seven, but I, I'm, I would think that Toronto needs to really find a way to both capitalize on the energy of pushing it to seven, but then make sure they still have enough left to make game seven eh, competitive. So yeah, and if it does end up going seven, that's going to be good news for Tampa Bay because they will play the winner. And I don't know. I, go, going into this, uh, going into the the playoffs, I I thought that Tampa Bay was a pretty clear favorite to come out of the East. But based on the way that Boston has been playing, if they can play at that level, I think they're going to give Tampa a lot of trouble if that ends up being the next matchup. So something to keep an eye on. Something else to keep an eye on is that Washington came back from being down two games to none and have taken a three to two series lead against Columbus. They won uh, yesterday, yesterday being Saturday, and they have a chance on Monday night at 730 to take it home to uh, to win that series on the road. If they lose game six, they still get to go back home for game seven. So they you know, they got two chances to close it out. It's been a really interesting series. The road team won the first two games, and that was something that was, um, you know, obviously very unusual, something that doesn't happen very often. Uh, and not only did Washington lose the first two games at home, they lost the first two games in overtime, which is obviously an incredibly demoralizing way to lose. So a lot of people thought that that might be it, but like we said, it turned out not to be, they ended up winning in overtime on Saturday, four to three to take a three to two lead. So Jay, do you think, do you think Washington exercises their playoff demons? Although I guess they can't do that until the next round, but do you think that the Washington 
completes this uh, th- this comeback, or do you think that Columbus takes the next two and uh, we get a full press conference from John Tortorella? I think. Listen, I I think it's in the NHL's best interest to get a full press conference from Tortorella. So I think I think Columbus is going to make this uh, as interesting as possible. Uh, after those two uh, overtime wins, I was like Washington, like. Ugh. I mean, it's probably the most tired meme on the internet right now, but it's just looking at the picture of the Capitals and it's Kevin McCallister going, Capitals, your postseason, woof. <laughs> you know, but now yeah. the Caps have, have righted the ship and, and now they're, they, they, you know, they can they can take care of business. So I I want that to go seven, but, you know, gosh, between in, in Bobrovsky v. Ovechkin, I got to take Ovi on that one. You know, I think I think Barofsky could go completely insane, right? Because we know he's we know he has. He's been taken off the case several times by Jay Onright. So, you know, a loose cannon isn't what you want on the force, but somehow they always end up finishing the case in in all the right ways. So, uh, but I think I think that's going to go seven with the Caps coming out of it. That's and that's that's the hell of traffic. Yeah, so the uh, the winner of the Washington Columbus series is going to play the winner of Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. This is another series that looked like it could be over early. Pittsburgh was just absolutely dominating in the beginning of this series. It looked like if there was a way to win a series in three games, it looked like that was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and but it was not to be. Uh, Philadelphia came back. They showed a lot of uh, heart and determination to claw their way back in this series. And as we record this, we are about a half hour away from game six. So Pittsburgh's up three, two, but the game is in Philadelphia. So this is one of those ones where I kind of won't be surprised whatever happens, you know, barring some kind of ridiculous thing that nobody could ever predict. (laughs) You know, if if Pittsburgh wins this game 10-0, I'm not going to be surprised. If Philadelphia has a blowout win, I'm not going to be surprised. If it's an 18 overtime game, I'm not going to be surprised. Like, this series to me is kind of anything can happen. And I still think if I was going to bet money, I think I would definitely have to bet on Pittsburgh, uh, but Philadelphia winning the series. I'm not going to be totally shocked, but I, I, I do think Pittsburgh's going to going to win this. And I think it's going to set up again, Pittsburgh, Washington in the second round. So I know that the Capitals fans uh, are likely hoping that Philadelphia continues to play a physical style for either one or two more games. If Pittsburgh does end up. Uh, winning this so jay do you think do you think philly can come all the way back i think they absolutely can um i i i'm hoping that i mean like think about it if well when was the last team at time a team three peated right the the islanders your beloved islanders right so like no edmondson did oh edmonton was the most recent one okay so edmonton all right so you've got an amount of history that they want to make by becoming another three-peat team, which, okay, good for Pittsburgh, right? You've got the tools, yeah. you've got the talent, fine, whatever. But I think it would just be ever so hilarious to do a to do to the Penguins what your Islanders did to them back in the 90s, right? Like, just have this team that looked like a 
dumpster fire. And in all, for all intents and purposes, is still a dumpster fire. You know, with whatever the mystery phantom Gudis injury that Couturier sustained. Like, mm. that. watching that video was, I, I don't know, I, I think that's it was almost like the Zapruder film, right? You know, you, you have to watch it back and to the left, back and to the mm. left. And here they are. They can, they're, they're at home and Couturier is in the lineup. So... I I think this is another series that I'm I just I needed to go seven just to see what happens. But you know, if if the Penguins are the team that they obviously think themselves to be, that they should get, you know, to win in the playoffs, you still have to be able to win on the road. So mm-hmm. they they certainly have the power to do it. They've demonstrated as such. So it's it's this has been my favorite series to watch and be like, you got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me. And then, you know, watching the other, uh, the Washington scene, it's like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. So, so just, just really quickly, I wanted to, uh, to correct my mistake. Um, basically, if you go back, we had, uh, in in the the late seventies and eighties, we had a series of dynasties. You had the Canadians winning four straight, then the Islanders won four straight, uh, and then they lost to Edmonton in the the next year uh, in their bid for five straight Stanley Cups. So Edmonton Edmonton won five, but they were broken up. So they won two in a row after that Islanders uh, four years in a row. Then Montreal won. Then Edmonton won two more in a row. Then Calgary, then Edmonton again. So um, the last team to win three in a row was the Islanders. Uh, Edmonton came close. Um, obviously, the, obviously, the Red Wings uh, won two in a row. Um, they are the most recent team because Pittsburgh won in 91-92 before losing to the Islanders. Uh, not in the finals, but in the in the playoffs. So um, so I was, I was wrong. The last team to win three was the Islanders. Um, so if you were sitting in your car yelling at me, then... Uh, I, I I fixed it. I mean, I mean, I guess Jay, you were actually right. Would have been a little bit more succinct, but I'm glad you decided to do to show your work on that one. So I appreciate yeah. I appreciate that very much. I figure people would appreciate it too. Yes. So hey, so that's the East. Let's yeah. let's chat about the West. And sure. holy crap, three of those series have already been decided. So, mm. uh, you know, let's let's start with let's start with the one that's still going. Right, so yes. uh, Nashville and the uh, Colorado Sackics—they're—they're uh, <laughs> they're having quite a time. Uh, I think, ah, geez, just you know, Nathan McKinnon. Uh, if you were wearing any other jersey, I'd be on your side even more, my friend, and rooting for you just a little bit more. But because you're on the Avalanche, I just—I don't know if I can get behind you. But hey, I'm actually glad that they're putting up a fight to Nashville because I kind of need. Nashville to, to move in terms of what I want my bracket to look like, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's, 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 that's, that's good. I think if, if Nashville does want to try and, uh, you know, actually put up a fight against the red fiery streaking across the sky, Winnipeg jets, they need to be able to face a little bit of adversity, which is what they're facing in the avalanche. So this is probably good for Nashville to get this kind of a resistance early to kind of build it up. But I don't think it's going to do them any good because, like I said, the Winnipeg Jets are going all the way, baby. Going all the way. <laughs> what, what have your thoughts been on this Colorado-Nashville matchup? It's it's been it's been a lot of fun. The um, I was just looking at some stats, and and one of the things that I think was really interesting about this is that 
there is now the possibility that the Hamburglar could perhaps <laughs> steal another series like it was made up of some type of sandwich with a piece of cooked ground beef in between two uh, two halves of a bun. Do you, because- t- do you mean to tell me that a man who is a large, avid fan of steamed hams could could be doing the magic that is known as the locally uh, occurring Aurora Borealis series steel. <laughs> is that what you're saying? Yes. Uh, contained entirely in a kitchen. Um, <laughs> Can I see so it? Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> yes. I mean, on one side you have uh, Pekka Rinna, who, like we talked about last episode, is likely to be your Vesna trophy winner. Uh, and he so far in, in five games played has an 894 save percentage. So I'm not saying that he has like, he's the reason they haven't closed it out, but you know, 894 is not that great. Uh, on the other side, you have Bernier with a 883, which is obviously even worse, uh, through four games, but then you have Andrew Hammond coming in and he has a 981 save percentage. So it's going to be interesting to see if, um, if he can keep that up, if he can keep the uh the avalanche in it uh on the on the avalanche side you have gabriel landeskog with four goals in five games which is pretty incredible so it's going to be interesting to see if uh you know if, if he can really be a force uh in the rest of the series i mean i think i i really can't see colorado pulling off the the win but i think just from a from a hockey standpoint it's it's it, it, it's good not to have it just be a total blowout. It's uh, it's good for Nashville to have some some competition at this point. And yeah, so I think I think Nashville is going to win. Uh, you had mentioned the other series, which is going to be who the winner of this is going to play, which is Winnipeg and Minnesota. So that series is now over, and uh, Winnipeg won in five games. And dear God, was this an exciting series? I, I'm really glad I got to watch some of this because this was just end to end excitement for the majority of the series. Um, I, I don't think it was as lopsided as the four to one game score indicates, but I think Winnipeg was, was definitely the better team seeing, uh, Patrick line, score a goal and then do the sad violin with his hockey stick while skating by the bench was unbelievable. One of my favorite things happened recently. So yeah. What do you think? You still on board? You think Winnipeg, uh, (laughs) I'm still on board. Yeah. The, the buzzing of the Minnesota tower. Oh oh, yeah. Yeah. Your, your even keel and well of a fair and balanced opinion totally swayed my deadlock for winning the Stanley cup. No, it didn't. The buzzing of the tower by line was like that. That was the, it's like the, <laughs> it's like that moment in beer fest where they see his friend, he's got the eye of the Jew and they make him the anchor man so they can all drink the DOS boots. <laughs> it, it, it's like, Oh, that's our, that's he's our anchor. Do it, do it, do it. So <laughs> I, you know, for, for a little bit there, you were like, ah, geez, line hasn't line. hasn't registered a point. But then once like his first goal was like, that's the type of goal that I try to score all the time when I play NHL 18 because his wrist shot is just that good. And, yeah. and that was just like, Hey, just gotta get you just, once you find your legs, man, you're on, you are, you are rough and ready, ready, ready to go. So this, this was fantastic. Uh, I think the, if there was a usurper 
to the Pekka Vezina pick. Hellebuck is making his case. I think he was phenomenal in the series. Uh, and and uh, I'm, I'm just really looking forward to it. And again, I have to point this out because I've said it a couple times on Twitter, but I just wanted to express my only disgust that I have right now with the Jets in that they are shackled by the home team wearing the dark jerseys situation. Mm. If you're going to have whiteouts at the Jets home games and the team not wearing white, (laughs) gosh, it feels like that's, you know, not the point of a whiteout, right? Like they're just, I, I, I can't wrap my head around why this was a thing, why this became a thing, hmm. you know, and even, even when the jets became the the coyotes and they still did the whiteouts there, but the coyotes were wearing their dark jerseys as well. It's unreal how dumb this is. So did you, did you see the, um, it was the first jets home game and yeah, they, they were the home team. So, so it was the first game of the series and they were doing the whiteout and I think this was on the CBC feed. You had, you know, as you're watching, you know, from where the camera is, is on the, uh, you know, in relative to the ice, it was on the right side, um, you know, going to the right. Uh, and I think, oh, what was there? It was like right kind of going in the corner, you know, you have the boards and it, you know, starts to, to bend into the corner. So kind of right on that, uh, that part where, st- you know, first starts to bend. There was a gentleman sitting there with a white suit, like a full white suit and a white fedora. And I just kept wanting to see a close up. I was like, how have they not, how have they not gotten this shot yet? And now now granted, maybe, maybe I turned it on late and that was the, the thing they opened with, but Oh my God, it was just, it was such a great look. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely enjoying the, the whiteout in the stands, uh, with Winnipeg. Um, and definitely it was a uh, it was a much better series than the two on the other half of the western <laughs> bracket. Oh, Incl- boy. So so we we are going to move on to the um the, the team that that all of us picked to uh just dominate this season. Of course we're talking about the Vegas Golden Knights. Every episode of this podcast, Jay and I just basically talked about how we were totally on board with the Knights. There was not going to be a part where they totally collapsed. And um, yeah, so they are continuing to steamroll through the NHL and they took out the Los Angeles Kings in four games. Now, this is this is one of the I can't believe I'm I'm saying that I feel bad for Los Angeles, but I do feel bad for them in one way. And that is that their goalie, Jonathan Quick, had a 947 save percentage and they got swept. <laughs> like that is incredible. Oh. That is unbelievable. Right uh, in four games, Vegas Vegas had uh, their leading scorer was Riley Smith with three points. <laughs> uh, on the other end, Mark Andre Fleury had a nine seventy seven uh, save percentage, which is obviously unbelievable. So. I'm not saying that the the Kings deserve to win that series, but I'm just saying that is a a pretty terrible way to lose, especially in four games to play that well defensively and still get swept. 
Yeah, it's uh, just a testament to just how ridiculous it is that uh, the Vegas Golden Knights have very, very, very obviously signed some sort of uh, uh, pact agreement, a a uh, a uh, a collection of agreements with a certain uh, horned uh, and a spike bearing individual looking very red. If I have to make this any more obvious, I'm not doing yeah. a good job, or all of you are dumb. Does he play a fiddle? Uh, I I heard he would. He has been to Georgia uh, on occasion. Okay. Um, and um, you know, I think I think the only way that uh, that they get uh, beat is by a certain team from Winnipeg playing a golden fiddle. So <laughs> that's 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 the point there. So um, I'm I'm very. I'm very much looking forward to the conference final matchup of the Jets and the, and the Knights. It's going to be great. Um, the the Kings, gosh, you know, the Kings kind of looked like the Pistons against the Cavs, I think, two years ago, where it was like the most competitive sweep you could imagine. Like, hmm. like we were in it, but we still lost. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that, that Vegas series, that was, you know, I thought, again, I thought that would have been, would have been maybe a five or six or just because I thought with the experience that, uh, LA has they would have um, you know needed needed to to have a little bit more of a fight but Vegas just you know I feel I feel most bad for Bailey the mascot for the Kings he he brings his 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 troll game so hard and he doesn't get to do it anymore in the postseason I just sh- shout out Bailey I feel your pain so Pete talk to us about this uh, matchup about some some sea some sea dwelling creatures <laughs> yeah so i was i was very happy to see the sharks dispatch the ducks in four games going into this i picked um actually for both of these uh you know for both of these things i had um i had vegas and the sharks winning but i had it in six games in my bracket uh as opposed to four so I wasn't surprised to see the Sharks win. I did think that the Ducks would put up a little bit more of a fight, especially the game they lost 8-1, to one, which I just thought was hysterical. Um, <laughs> then it we was, had, wasn't it? It just yeah, it, was. And then, I mean, you know, we had the Ducks uh, gooning it up. I mean, just I, 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 I cannot believe that uh, – that that collection of of players would ever do such a thing um but you know like we said before about goaltending i think it's it's interesting that martin jones 970 save percentage so that's something not this yeah i mean if you look at gibson gibson had an 889 which is really interesting because i think gibson was kind of a a a dark horse vesna pick um, I was actually kind of surprised not to see him as a as a finalist for the Vesna. I think when we get the full ballot, I think he's probably going to be top five. He had a really good year, but not so much in the four games uh, of the playoffs this year. So I am uh, very happy to see the Ducks go home. Uh, I predicted before that the Sharks would be the ones to uh, finally pull the sword out of the stone during the Vegas uh opening by the way if you haven't seen that the the Vegas Golden Knights put on uh basically a medieval times level uh fan experience for their first 
uh, their first playoff game. And it was, it was definitely something to see. Uh, It was definitely a Vegas experience. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. Uh, I think kind of regardless of how you felt, it was pretty true to their, their team and their culture. So I think, I think uh, the sharks are going to be the ones to solve the Vegas mystery because now this is gonna be interesting. We have two goalies going up against each other, one with a 970 save percentage and one with a 977. So are these going to be four overtime zero zero games? <laughs> I guess I guess we'll have to see, but I don't know. It's the the second round is definitely shaping up to be really interesting. Like we said before, Nashville Winnipeg is going to be, I think, an incredible series. The only the only thing is, I wish that that were a conference final. I think Tampa, whoever Tampa Bay plays, is going to be a great series. Um, I think Boston could go a lot further than I thought after watching the first couple games. And then uh, in the bottom half of the Eastern bracket, I think it's going to be interesting to see if Washington can, can, uh, can finally get to the conference finals. I mean, obviously first they have to get past the, uh, the, the blue jackets and um, it's going to be interesting. I think we're going to have some really great second round series. And I think we're going to, we're going to look back and, and think that the, the second round series were better than the conference finals. Um and then I guess, you know, we'll have to see about the Stanley Cup final. But I think, you know, barring some crazy upset, I think that the the, the Stanley Cup final is going to be really good based on the level of play that we've seen so far. Yeah, yeah. And I know some of you are looking at me like, Jay, why are you so excited? You picked the Ducks to beat the Sharks. Well, let me tell you, folks, jumping on different bandwagons is a lot of fun. So uh, <laughs> that, that was really neat. Um you know, I seem to remember a certain Mallard team defeating my Red Wings on their way to a cup in 2007. And, um, you know, there's just something about seeing them lose that just makes my heart swell with pride and, and joy. And, you know, seeing another team being able to, to get a chance to do that same thing that we've been able to do like consistently for a long time. Sure, the Red Wings and the Ducks have been trading blows for, for, for a while now. I mean... We remember the 2003 matchup that stopped us from winning three in a row where they went on to then lose to the Devils, but then they beat us and won a cup in 07. And then, you know, in 2009, eh, we said, uh, it's not your turn yet. So uh, that was fun. And then sweeps are fun. And there's a bunch of things that uh, have yet to be decided, obviously, because there are still some series for, for, for uh, us to decide, but, That one was nice to watch, I got to tell you. All right. Our guest for this episode is Jashvina Shaw. She uh, is the editorial director for Neutral Zone, where she covers amateur hockey. Uh, She's also covered Big Ten hockey for College Hockey News since 2014 and has covered college hockey uh, since 2010. So how are you doing today? Thanks for being with us. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, like a lot of our other guests, we we met in uh, Rochester, and I remember you know getting to know you the night before the conference. We were all hanging out at the uh, at the bar. We had the amazingly funny takeoff game, which I remember you were incredibly good at, um, and you were just such a really fun person. And now that I've got to know you, I know you know so much about hockey. So I've been looking forward to having you as a guest. Um, so. 
I'm just going to start off with something basic just to kind of get into it. Um, so how did you get into the sport originally? And then how have you, you know, gone from that initial kind of experience to where you are now, where you're, you're covering the sport? Mm -hmm. So I actually grew up like my parents when they moved to the US lived in Cleveland. So they're huge Browns fans. So my brother and I were actually raised as football fans. Uh, we both grew we were both born in Massachusetts. So we were like football fans. We were huge Red Sox fans. We watched basketball, but we never watched hockey because that's just not something my parents despite despite the fact that we lived in a town like my dad's barber cut like hair of players who played for the Bruins but <laughs> growing up like we just he was never into hockey so we were never into hockey um and I think like the year my brother graduated um and went to college I was just like oh I'm a bad Boston fan because I never follow the Bruins so I was like yeah I should probably fix that so I was living in New Jersey at the time um I turned on the tv to watch the Devils play I watched him for five minutes and that's like all it took um, I was hooked from that day on. Like I can, I knew my parents, see, I, the funny thing is like, I knew my dad would get really mad if he knew I was watching sports because I watched too much TV anyway. <laughs> and I remember like having to time it to like turn off the TV if I heard him coming because I didn't want him to know. Uh, <laughs> but eventually like I, you know, he started watching with me. Um, my entire family loves hockey now. My brother is a hockey fan. Um, my, both my parents are, my dad's a huge hockey fan too. Um, and then I, you know, I just like I had a di very different experience because I, I grew up a Boston fan and I grew up mostly in New Jersey. So I didn't really have what a lot of people have. Like I didn't have that connection to my teams because I was so far away. I didn't get to watch them. I didn't get to see them play in person. Um, and it was really different experience for me, like having that devil's community around me, you know, getting to go to games and like being able to watch them on TV. So I just grew really, really attached to the devils because of that. Um, and then when I went to college, I went back to Boston and I really, really miss them and I just like eventually kind of realized like my sophomore year of college that like I love them so much I just want to like cover the devils one day uh so that's how I like I started um I covered women's hockey that year um it was amazing I had such a great time uh the next year I started covering the men's team and the only reason so actually like I I was going abroad and I didn't know that I would stop covering women's hockey for good, but I think I was just like really attached to the team. And like that one semester I was covering the men's, like I got even closer to like the women's team and like I'm really close to the coach now. So I was like, I can't really be an unbiased reporter. So I didn't go back to women's hockey after that. Um, but I've just been covering, like I've just been covering hockey since then. Yeah. So, um, you know, like I said, I, I interact with you on Twitter and, and stuff. And so I know, um, you know, you're posting like, oh, I'm, you know, going to Prudential Center. And, you know, I live, I live pretty close. I live probably about 45 minutes away. And I, you know, I, I get to some New Jersey Devils games. So how is it going to like, let's say a Devils game as a fan, as opposed to a lot of the time now when you're going to a hockey game, you're going to cover the game, like you're going kind of for work as opposed to f uh, for fun? So the funny thing is, like, I did cover the Devils, like, after I graduated from college. I stopped. Um, I didn't like it at all. Um, I can't go to an NHL game as a reporter. I just don't enjoy it. Like, I actually, the, the time I spent covering the Devils, like, really kind of sucked my love out of the NHL. So I actually stopped following for a long time. Like, that combined with the lockout, I just, I wasn't interested anymore. Hmm. Um, but for college games, like, I don't enjoy going as a fan. Because I've just been doing it for so long and the community is like 
really like our media community is really close. So like my friends are usually in the press box and the people that I interact with. I mean, I have friends who are fans too, but it's just, um, I've done it. Like I've gone to maybe like a couple of BU games as a fan. Um, I really just don't like that experience at all for whatever reason. Um, I have a much, I enjoy it much more from the perspective of being a member of the media and what goes along with it. Um, I love going to NHL games as a fan. I hate doing it as a reporter. It's just so (laughs) boring. It's not fun at all. Like it's just, it's not an experience to me, but you know, there's something different about being there as a fan and like being able to be invested in it. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I can't, that's just the way I feel. Cool. Well, I mean, as I myself have kind of taken a weird trajectory of like having so much of one particular experience being a fan and then and then making the jump to being a part of the media and then, you know, whatever gifts and superpowers comes along with such a uh, a new office and whatnot. So I totally get what you're saying, because there's been times where I'll go to a Red Wing game as you know, I'm working social media that night. And I almost get a little bit more out of it just because I want to be able to tell that more to our our followers and try and keep them informed and entertained despite the level of play that they're currently at. But <laughs> but then as a fan, like I'm watching and I, I almost like zone out a little bit because I'm like, oh, geez, I get to enjoy this for myself. What? <laughs> so don't, you're, you're definitely not alone in that department. So... If so, uh, what what would be your? I mean, would anything bring you back to being to like enjoying the college experience again? Like, would you need to just quit it cold turkey for like two years and then get back into it? I mean, but and do you even miss it? Like, do you miss that feeling you get, or have you like I've made my choice? <laughs> I mean, it's not that I don't enjoy it. I just would rather be in the press box. Like I said, you know, my friends are all there. I've been doing it for so long. Um, it's just a much different experience when you're covering college hockey than when you're covering the NHL. Um, you don't get that same kind of com- camaraderie or like community and friendship when you're covering the NHL and media that you do when you're covering college hockey. Um, like I said, I, you know, I still have tons of friends who I have watched games with before who would love for me to sit and watch with them. Um, but I just don't want to give up what I have in media. Like it's just, it's, it's like a routine and it's a thing and it's just something I've been doing for so long and it's, just, there's so much enjoyment to take out of it um, that I just, I wouldn't give that up. Um, so I wanted to get to a couple uh, specific uh, questions about college hockey. And so we, we put out a mailbag and we got, you know, some, some pretty good questions. And so the first one I want to ask you is from um, our site leader, JJ. Um, and so the question he asked is in terms of college hockey players who are drafted versus undrafted, uh, is there any big attitude difference in terms of the way that they approach the game the season or training or any aspect of that? Um, there's not like most players know that when they reach this point in their life that being drafted or not being drafted into the NHL really doesn't matter at all. Um, By the time you get to college, you're already being watched by scouts. You know, the college coaches have those relationships with the NHL coaches too. Um, You're going to be watched. And if you're not playing well, the team that's drafted you is not going to be interested. And like also we see now more than we have in the past, players are waiting out to turn free agents. So that's Mm -hmm. another factor. They have to think about that if that's potentially what they want to do. And, you know, if the team that drafted them isn't interested, they're not going to sign them if the player's not doing well. Um, You know, no one goes into college hockey, like play there is, there's no like players who are undrafted versus players who are, they all work 
um, the ones that want to succeed all work incredibly hard. And that's like a non-issue for them. Uh, watching uh, a bunch of the Great Lakes Invitationals, so basically all of the uh, Midwestern college hockey teams and just noticing the difference in products, like what do you think is like in terms of the skill, What what's the, at the college level, what's the one thing that is to this day still the hardest to get the hang of, you think? Because obviously you can, like the the pace of the game is different, obviously, but you know, like what's the one thing at the college level you're like, man, like the difference between college and pro, it's like mind blowing. Well, the, the biggest issue for players, and this is at any level, whether you're going from high school to junior, junior to college, college to pros is the the pace of the game, like you mentioned, and it's really the speed. So like players very rarely succeed if they're not fast. So like if you talk to players, a lot of times you'll hear them like really place emphasis on like, you know, in the off season, the thing that they're working on the most is skating. Um, like I think another thing is like just how fast they, their hockey IQ, how fast they think the game is another issue, but that kind of goes into just the pace of play. Everything is so much faster. And for like all freshmen, I, I don't know that necessarily it's the toughest thing, but it's de- well for like, yeah, for freshmen or like rookies in college hockey, like the hardest thing for them to do is to master the speed of the game. They have to be fast. They have to be able to skate, but they also have to be able to think as quickly as the game moves. So that's definitely the toughest adjustment. So at the collegiate level, like I know every coach is going to have their own systems and stuff, but do you, I guess for, for at the college level, are, are, are coaches, in your opinion, are they kind of just giving guys a broad system to play like an all accessible system and then once they reach the bigs then obviously the like the like the specialist coaches can either just like it's easier to to blend in or i I guess i've always been curious because like some players will play for you know hey guys will play for red berenson for four years right and they're used to a certain system and then like i wonder if that's just like another problem you know like the second you step in the nhl there's a little yoda coach they were like unlearn what you have learned You know, so like, do you think that like the college, like the collegiate coaching system is just like a, like kind of baby's first hockey system. And then when they get to the NHL or are the systems in the, in college, like just as comparable and useful at the national major level? They're definitely just as comparable. I mean, obviously, at the end of the day, these coaches want their kids to win. And they do have specialist coaches, like usually the assistant coach will, like their assistant and associate coaches will tackle some things. Like if you look at Ohio State, Steve Miller is in charge of their defense. And Ohio State is now their systems focus on defense first. And that's part of the reason why they were so good. Um, It's definitely like the same as the NHL they do have systems for their players. And that's again, part of why you see when new coaching, when new coaches take over, there's an adjustment period because the players need to get adjusted and they need to learn a new system. So that takes about maybe half a year to a year. And you know, it's something I was interested to like, you know, going from one level to the, to the next to, um, you know, like, like, what the big changes are. Uh, one thing I really uh, wanted to, one of the questions I wanted to get to, cause I thought it was, it was interesting with um, the NCAA hockey tournament, you know? Um, so I will, I'll just read this question. And so it's from MGO Lions. And uh, this person says uh, with how random the tournament is in terms of deserting, desert, uh, sorry, deciding a winner, you know, since it's single game elimination, um, how would you, or I guess I'll add, would you change it uh, to be, to, to kind of give the top teams more of an advantage. 
Um, yeah. So, I mean, the way the NCAA tournament is decided, the way the field is decided and the way the seeds are decided, the committee does its best job to favor the home teams as much as they can to lessen travel for them. Sometimes it's not always feasible. Like in this case, the Midwest regional happened to be in Pennsylvania. So Denver obviously had to go very far to get to their regional. Um, but I mean, I wouldn't change the current system because one, you can't not have a single elimination tournament because these are college students. Like they have classes and stuff like that. It's not feasible. Um, second of all, like it's, it's good. Having a single game elimination tournament is what makes the NCAA tournament so good. And I think that applies to all sports, not just hockey. Obviously, we see it in basketball. Um, The reason one seeds get upset is sometimes you do end up having a week one seed. Or sometimes, and you know, a lot of it really what people I think forget is that it really depends on the matchup against the, the team you're playing against. So, you know, some teams are really good. They win a lot of their games, their number one seed, but they have maybe they can't play very well against good defensive teams or their defense isn't so strong or their goaltending is not so strong. And they happen to match up in the first round against a team that will beat them. Or, you know, I, I don't remember if Wisconsin, yeah, Wisconsin was, I think they were at the number one seed when this happened four years, four years ago, but um, they lost to a very good North Dakota team that ended up making the Frozen Four. Like, it's not... And there's not an, there's not as big a gap between one and 16, honestly. And I think we saw that this year, especially as well. But like in most regionals, there's really not going to be a huge gap. Like we were talking about this. There aren't there aren't really up, there aren't upsets in college hockey anymore. I mean, you can look at statistically and say this was only the second time since the current um, format that a number one seed has lost the number 16 seed. So in that sense, you can kind of call it an upset. But also, you know, the teams are so close together. Like if you have a four beating a one, it's not really an upset. If you have a three beating a two, it's really not at all an upset. Sometimes the three seed is better than the two seed. So I mean, I don't – yeah, I wouldn't change the format. And I'm, the NCAA does the best that it can given given its conditions to favor um, the number one seeds when they're sending them to the regional they're sending them to. So uh, jumping back to our mailbag, uh, we have a question from uh, past guest uh, Acharya. And um, so she says, uh, hi, Josh Vina, enormous fan, even though I went to the rival college down the road from yours. Um, have you seen many efforts in college – uh, to recruit and encourage people of color to play hockey? And if not, what kind of programs or initiatives do you think would, would help? This is the first that I'm finding out she went to BC, and I feel really betrayed. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Break, is, breaking news, breaking news, yeah. You'll have to drop in that that stinger later, Pete. Like, da, 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 breaking news. <laughs> um, I So this is interesting because the way – if, if like for anyone who's kind of familiar with how amateur hockey works and how getting recruited works, um, there is no concerted effort to specifically look for players of color, but that is the fault of the grassroots system and just the system in general, not college coaches. Um, you know, college coaches are out at, and I know, I know people who recruit like, um, and I obviously work in amateur hockey scouting, so I'm aware of like what our scouts do. Um, it's crazy. They're at as many games as they possibly can be. They're at as many tournaments and showcases. Um, to be recruited, essentially, you have to be able to afford. A, you need to be able to afford skill development classes when you get to that age. B, you need to be able to afford to play in showcases, which is not cheap. Um, so like, I don't like... 
I joke hockey's a scam, but it actually really is. If you want your child to succeed and like have a chance, like obviously there is like you have to be good. You have to have some level of natural talent. But if you're going to separate yourself, if you're going to get to the next level, you need to have a lot of money to make it happen. Um, So the only way is to really either get more money to minorities or to like dismantle the system. And I don't like the system the way it is. It's really a bunch of just like money guzzling things where people trick parents into paying for stuff. It's just really bad Um, because even if you were to go to the grassroots level and like encourage more minorities and like POC to get into hockey, if that money barrier is still there, they're never going to be recruited Um, because if they can't afford to play in these showcases or get that skill development, like they're just not going to make it to the next level. Okay, so uh, I wanted to also dig into our mailbag here because maybe with – you know, a little bit of perspective on how actual questions are asked. I can say them without being confusing. Um, okay, so uh, Mitten Man one three nine one or thirteen ninety one. I apologize if I said that either way wrong. Uh, his his first question is, uh, and I'll kind of add a, a modification to this one. So, uh, do you think there are any highly underrated college programs right now that are producing quality NHL players? But I guess to contrast what are the top programs right now in your opinion? And then which programs do you think could you like are kind of just taking care of business without anybody noticing? I don't really think there's any program that flies under the radar. Like pretty, a a lot of programs will at least send a kid or two to play pro or NHL hockey. Well, most programs send kids will play pro. Um, There's not really any, team that's underrated in doing that again like it's it's the coaches mostly that are doing the developing and you know people pretty much widely know who's going to develop players well so it's you've got your jerry york Dave quinn's obviously montgomery at denver um you know north dakota's still producing players um to send them to the nhl there's there's really not like a underrated team it's just it's the usual like it's bcbu um harvard North Dakota, Notre Dame, Denver, those programs. There you hear it. We figured it out, Pete. Everybody, everybody is good. This is this is great, which means you and I can go finally go back to college. We'll be the 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 defensive tandem we always said we wanted to be. So that oh my god, that, that would be embarrassing that, for me. That clears that up. <laughs> um. So since you've been covering uh college hockey since 2010 have you noticed a difference in the i i guess i would say like like maybe the the quality of player that goes to college as opposed to going to junior uh like i guess i i guess i'm saying like uh you know somebody who go you know somebody who kind of gets drafted out of junior as opposed to somebody who goes to college and then you know, goes into the NHL that way. Like, have you seen a difference in kind of like those two paths, like the type of players, um, you know, who, who, who kind of do that, or if one has kind of seemingly become like a, like a better path than it was before? Like, like, what do you think about that? So the types of players who can go to the ju- to go play juniors, uh, major juniors, and succeed in making it to the NHL are players who are NHL ready, um, which is not a lot of them. Um, it's maybe like, I don't even know the numbers, what it would be. Uh, the difference with college hockey is that it places emphasis on practice as opposed to playing games, which is how you develop and where you develop. And obviously there's emphasis in off ice training. So the weight room is a big thing. Um, 
the best example I can think of is BU had three players in the time I was covering them that left for Major Junior. These were the players, Charlie Coyle, Yassine Cisse, and Wesley Myron. How many of those players do you know? One of them. One. But (laughs) when Charlie left, Coach Parker sat us down and said he's going to succeed because he's NHL ready. So it's fine. He can go play Major Junior. He'll succeed. When the other two left, he was very – I remember when Cisse left because it was like – I think it was the same year as Charlie did or the year after. But he told us, like, he's not going to make it because he's not cracking our lineup right now. Yeah, he'll go there and he'll score a lot of points, but he's playing against kids who are younger and smaller than him. That doesn't translate into NHL success, and he hasn't made it. I don't think he's still playing hockey, actually. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's, like, the key difference is you have to be – like at that point and there are some players who are at that point and there are most players are not at that point um so it depends on who you are as a player and what you're looking for like are you trying to develop more or are you already there so speaking of players that might already be there i a a name has 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 been handed out of the goblet of hockey fire it's been spit out it's been it's been spread amongst all the hockey community and everybody's already talking about it, even though he's still probably a year away. So some guy named Jacques Huguez. Oh, Jack Hughes. That's right. That's his name. Uh, what, what, are, what are your thoughts on this? How, how does, you know, it, I, I'm trying to remember the last time a college player has garnered this, like, and especially an American college player has garnered this much like buzz and we're still a year away, like for all we know that, you know, he could completely regress and then disappear into the history of time. But, you know, what what are your thoughts on Jack Hughes? Do you think he's going to go the number one or are we all just worshiping the golden idol at the bottom of Mount Harab? I mean, like you said, it's still going to we don't quite know what the future is going to hold. But, yeah, like he reminds me. Like the hype kind of reminds me a lot of Austin Matthews and I've actually been thinking a lot about this because what's coming into question is where he's going to end up playing. So I could see him pulling what Austin Matthews did and going to play in Switzerland, I think Hmm. is where he went, instead of staying here because I don't don't necessarily know that he needs to be developed anymore and he wouldn't really gain anything from playing either college hockey or playing major junior. Um, Hmm. I mean, I haven't really watched him, but obviously like a lot. I hear people talking about him a lot. I've seen I've seen him a little bit. So he does seem like the real deal, and I would expect him to go first overall. Um, I'm also expecting him not to play either college hockey or play in major junior. That that would be actually pretty cool because I'm trying to remember, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm only want I only want this because I'm selfish and because of how ridiculous the decision by LeBron James was. I think it'd be really funny if Jack just like has like a hey, I'm gonna be posted up at the hotel Coronado. I want all of all 30 teams are allowed 10 minutes to pitch me do it. And like, it would, you know, the NHL would first scoff at it, but then all of us would then rally behind, Hey, you should actually do this. And then NHL would be like, we have this great idea. We're going to have Jack Hughes have a 30 minute, uh, a 30 team uh, signing weekend. And then we'll, we'll televise all of it on the golf channel. It's going to be great. All right. So, um, I just wanted to let's see. I want to, uh, we're, we're going to wrap up with one one final question. Um, and you know we've been talking a lot with you about college hockey, you know, and amateur hockey because that's you know that's what what you write about. Um, but you know, like you said, um, you you know you spent a lot of time following the Devils. Uh, so how did you feel about the Devils' uh, kind of resurgence this year? 
Taylor Hall making a really strong case for the Hart Trophy. Um, you know, how, so so how did that? Uh, you know, basically, how did you enjoy uh, <laughs> this season of Devils hockey? Yeah, I mean, I only watched them like maybe two or three times this regular season. <laughs> But and the only reason I went back is because Patrick Aliash was having his jersey retirement. Uh, that is and pretty I, important. I yeah. have to agree. I haven't missed a single Devils jersey retirement since I became a fan. So that's three, oh, wow. of them, and I have not missed any of them. This was by far the best. Mm. Um, but it's nice to actually watch a team that can score because after Parise left and Kovalchuk decided to peace out. Um, <laughs> They've just not – it's nice to have someone who can score. I don't know how they robbed Edmonton blind on that trade. I have no idea. I still don't I – people were saying like, oh, it's an even – I'm like, no, are you delusional? It's not an even trade. Have you ever watched Adam Larson play hockey? Like, I don't know. Also, the Devils really messed up his development, but that's that's another issue. Um so it's nice. It it's unfortunate that um, Corey Schneider got hurt, but the Devils also have no defense, so it's very aggravating to watch them play because they are still very bad. Because it's just they have they they did not. The reason they struggled, they did not adapt very well to post lockout, to post O four lockout hockey. Um, they were still good enough to obviously still be playing um, in the playoffs every year, but they really never made it past the first round, except in 2012. I think that's the most complete team they had in terms of offense and defense. And then, you know, Lou Lamarillo just essentially, the Devils were still a defense first team. And Lou Lamarillo essentially decided that's not where the league is going, which is true. But instead of a gradual transition, he like, pretty much just stopped and did a U-turn in the middle of the street and traded away the devil's entire farm system. <laughs> and they just have not recovered since then. So I think this is the first year that they're really kind of, you know, getting it together. Obviously Hall and Palmieri are like the key pieces behind that. Um, it's, and I, I think they've started to draft a little bit better. They were not drafting very well when Lamarillo was here towards the end of his career. Um, it was a very good decision. They traded away their ninth overall pick. I'm also not sure how they managed to swing that trade for Corey Schneider. Um, <clears throat> Cause obviously he's been playing really well and that, that team is not playing well in front of him. So that, that's where I'm at. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, even if you're only going to watch a little bit, at least the, the, the style of play is definitely more entertaining than uh, the devils have been playing for a while. Um, although like you did say, that does, lead to lead to more scoring chances going the other way. Um, but I mean, I remember, you know, growing up with the, the, the devil's trap teams where it was like, it seemed, seemed like every game was going to be one, nothing or, or two, one, maybe. Um, and I remember, you know, just there not being a lot of scoring chances. And so regardless, it's definitely fun to, to, to watch a team that has a lot of, uh, a lot of chances. So um, Josh, Mina, thank you so much for stopping by and talking to us. Um, I just want to say uh, real quick, I forgot to say this before uh, on Twitter, you can follow her at ice hockey stick. Uh, all you know exactly how you would imagine it's spelled uh, she's a great follower uh, follow on twitter she has a lot of really um, awesome stuff on there so like i said thank you so much for stopping by of course thank you so much for having me and again please follow because think about how rare it is to have a complete three-word username with no lowercase x uppercase x <laughs> five seven eight nine nine. she is 100 <laughs> percent at ice hockey stick for all time <laughs> She got it on the ground floor. It's hers forever. So that's yeah, I'm never changing it. So one thing that has been a topic of discussion 
during the playoffs, just like during the regular season, is the role that the Department of Player Safety has played uh, this season and the decisions that they've made. So there have been some uh, there have been some suspensions in the playoffs. Typically, for a player to earn a suspension in the playoffs, they have to do something fairly egregious. Uh, since the uh, the league seems to value uh, playoff games at a substantially higher rate than a regular season game, which may, which does make sense. So, so far, the biggest news has been that Nazem Kadri was suspended for three games for his, um, I guess you can call it a hit. Um, I mean, hit implies that it's a hockey play, uh, yeah. I think. <laughs> So so basically, he um, he went after Tommy Wingles uh, of the Boston Bruins in game one. Uh, Wingles had elbowed Mitch Marner in the head, which obviously I am certainly not saying was OK. But you could tell that basically Kadri was just going for retaliation at that point, um, which I think gives you some context there for the the degree of um, – the, uh, the the punishment that made sense. And he ended up uh, basically jumping into the boards with uh, Wingle's head sort of in between and hitting him with his hip uh, into the boards. And so he was uh, he was suspended for three games. Most people seem to think that that was uh, that was a, a fairly good decision. I thought it should have been more, but I always do. I, I am always. <laughs> It seems like I always come down on side of I think that the the suspension should be longer. However, if you are taking it in the frame of reference or if you're taking it in the context of decisions that the league has made this year, it does seem like they gave uh, special treatment or not special treatment it's, it, that they gave a, a, a more severe punishment than they have uh prior so first of all we're going to get to uh there's another part of this coming up but before we do that so jay what do you what do you think on the cadre hit pretty cut and dry i would say yes i this is what stinks because obviously looking at it over and over and over again you think about certain things but i i don't see how this hit is even as as up for interpretation as it has been right now i feel like where it is where the player is currently at i mean uh, just if guys can't control their direction at all, that's really kind of a more alarming thing to try and wrap your head around. It's like, wait, so you're telling me hockey players can't stop themselves at the second that they gain speed? They're like the juggernaut and you just can't stop him. I find that very hard to believe. Guys are able to course correct and, and alter their course pretty easily but, you know, I think we're talking about the spirit of uh, competition here that forces guys to try and make plays when they really shouldn't. So I think Kadri, uh, you literally said it. He took himself out with that hit. That was it was bad. It was dumb. It was, you know, at, at that point, like, oh, so he fell. No, like the guy's already basically on his knees before. I, I'd say with Kadri still four or five feet away from him still. So if Kadri can't like in his head calculate that like, geez, if I go to hit this guy, all of my lower core force of kinetic energy going that way is totally going to rock him in the head. I should figure out not to do this. 
If yeah. he can't do that, then what's the point of you playing the game? Are you just there to just throw your body around and just hit anybody? Because last I checked, you'd be racking up interference calls until the cows come home. So I think the conjugate was stupid. And, you know, this, and I'll probably be touching on it a couple times during this little segment here about how Ken Dryden said it best in his recent article by saying, like, why is it in the rule book called illegal hit to the head? That means there is a legal hit to the head, which is completely and utterly preposterous. So things need to change. And the yes, guys are getting suspended. I will admit that, you know, they are turning these decisions around pretty quick. You'd like to think that they'd have to, given that these are the playoffs and you want teams to be able to compete as as fairly as, as possible. But they're still just gl- like, I don't think he makes that hit. If the punish, if guys are going in there thinking they can make that hit and that it's a 50, 50 chance, they won't get suspended. That's bad. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I think on the, on the cadre thing. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I think it's, I think it's pretty cut and dry. I think the, the only question is maybe should it have been more? Um, yeah. But I think it, it's kind of hard to argue for less, although I'm sure, I'm sure some people have, Um so the other part of this that we wanted to talk about is that the one of the things that we had said, if you if you go back, uh, I think it's two episodes, we uh, did a segment where we talked about the article that Dave Lozo wrote um, about potential league changes for the NHL. And one of the things that we talked about was the uh, the review system where they should be releasing, um, you know, videos like they do where it, it would explain exactly why why it was you know called the goal or not called the goal um and one of the other things is that the department of player safety should also release videos or or some type of thing where uh, a player wasn't suspended but it seemed like like maybe there was a chance that that player could have been suspended so that the the fans and players and everybody would be able to you know, see see their reasonings, the the reason why they made the the call, and the Department of Player Safety a couple of days ago they did just that. They there has been uh, a series of hits in the playoffs. There were four hits that are, I would say, relatively si- uh, similar, and two of them resulted in suspension, and two of them did not. Uh, Drew Doughty was suspended um, for a hit on Carrier. Uh, Hartman was suspended. Uh, and then you also have Ryan Johansson who hit Tyson Berry on a similar, a very similar looking play who wasn't suspended. And the same thing with Kucherov uh, on Vatanen. And so this is definitely something I, I think that if you haven't seen it, I think you should definitely watch it um, because, you know, we're not going to go through line by line exactly what they say. But the biggest, I guess, idea here is that they're talking about the idea that the rule is written as this is when the head is the primary point of contact or the main point of contact, uh, as opposed to the initial point of contact, which is how some people think that the rule goes. And so I think on that, on that level, I think it makes sense for them to try to explain that now for their actual explanation. This is weird because I was going in, plan you know i was going in preparing for this to be just a total absolute joke and there are definitely some parts of this that i i disagree with um but i do think that i think that what they tried to point out 
makes some sense, but then when you watch the when you watch the videos, it kind of seems like it's possibly a distinction without a difference. Um, and so, what, what basically the way that they put it is that they are looking for um, a signal that the head was a principal point of contact, and one of the things that they look at is like what happens to the head in terms of the rest of the body. For example, if it kind of snaps back or to the side, as opposed to turning with the rest of the body. And in the video, like you could see a difference here, but like I was saying before, the other two hits, even though they might technically not be exactly the same as the other two, they are not going to be very good for that player's head. Um, and I think what, what this ends up kind of revealing to me is that maybe the, maybe the problem is that, that it's not expansive enough. And that if they're saying that these, these two hits that weren't suspendable don't kind of qualify that maybe the definition should be expanded for them to qualify because the, the, the motion that their heads are going in is not going to be good for their long-term health. Uh, so uh, Jay hadn't seen this before, and so while we were recording this, we took a took a pause, and uh, I sent him the link, and he watched it, and I got to hear his real time reaction. So I kind of already have an idea of what to expect, but I'm I'm interested about what you thought specifically. Well, I, I my first thought was the the way that this guy is narrating this video is a little condescending. Again, everybody brings their own personal experiences to how they read into things. So maybe he was just trying to read it in a very serious tone. But to me, it kind of came off as like, can't believe we have to explain this to you people in this very succinct and, and, and very explicit way. We should just be able to hand these things down without you guys needing any more information. So, you know, that part I was a little annoyed with. So, um. Okay, so if this if if there's one thing I took away from this video, it's that they uh, are looking at if the head is behaving the same way other parts of the body are be, are behaving as the result of a hit, and so they're maybe just saying like, hey, if if the head is the only thing reacting to this hit, then that's what's qualifying it as. Whereas if the head is acting in conjunction with whether or not like that, like it's a hip to hip contact or shoulder to shoulder contact, that's where it gets kind of gray. Uh, okay. Yes. Obviously like, cause I think it was the, it was a Kucherov one, right. That was like, like the head was like the, pretty much the only, the only thing that got hit. I, I, I'm pretty sure that's the one where it's like, like yeah, Kucherov one, he definitely did hit the shoulder mostly. Um, it was like like the majority of the yeah. hit was shoulder and kind of chest as yeah. opposed like as opposed to let's say the other hits that were suspended where it seemed like the head would I mean like I said I could definitely see what they were saying uh in terms of the ones that were suspended the head was definitely contacted by the opposing player's body a lot more um yeah. and the ones that weren't it was more other parts of the body, like the shoulder, the chest, like the, you know, the, like the core area with the head kind of being hit as part of that, if, if that makes sense. Like, like I could understand what they were saying, but at the same time, I still think that it's, it's going to cause damage. You know, these are, 
you know, it's not like, well, uh, you know, it's a good thing you didn't hit my head first and he hit a second. Um, right. Although, I although I actually, here, let, let me back up because I know, you know, one of the things that they talk about is it's not first or second, it's, it's the primary. So I guess the, the, the alternative would be, well, it's a good thing that my head was only the secondary point of contact. I mean, it's still, it's still not good. Um, yeah, I think like, either way, if the if the hit ultimately results in the guy's head being adversely affected by the hit, regardless, I think that should be what it it's called what it, what it, you should judge the whole hit on. Because at the end of the day, like if I hit somebody like in the waist, right, and like that's my point of contact, and then through the force of the hit, you know, his head hits my shoulder and all that stuff, like. I know that's kind of a wishy-washy thing because then it's a slippery slope. Are we, are the ends just defying the means like, Hey, if I, you know, hit a guy in the shoulder, but then he ends up getting whiplash. Are we really, you know? Yeah, sure. But I don't know. I, I'm just a little annoyed at like all of these guys. I think you said it, Pete, all these guys heads were hit right with, with a varying degree of either direct or indirectness, first, second, third, fourth, da, da, da. all of them were, high you know except for the the country one which was you know hello head meet my my waist but you know i think all those hits in my opinion based on the way i've seen stuff get judged before all four of them i think look like what's been normally handed games but now they're starting to go into a uh you know a more specific and um and thought out method of judging the hit to be either suspendable or not suspendable either way they're still getting hit in the head man like like that's it's like really w- rough to watch these guys i mean yes they're hockey men they're built very uh um yes they play a sport it's supposed to hit yes i understand that but you know now that the game is moving so much faster it's not like fender benders it's all you know i'm kind of taking words from ken dryden's article it's like they like the hits aren't just like Oh, geez, I backed out of the driveway and hit a guy. No, no. All of these are major collisions. Every mm-hmm. hit is a major flipping collision now. So it's not like, you know, hey, if you kind of hit a guy at half speed, and then you end up kind of sort of hitting the head. Sure. Great. Then that's, you know, maybe in the spirit of the, of the rule. Yeah, it, it's an illegal check to the head because it's 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 how the hit was laid out. But nobody's running into these guys at two miles an hour. Everybody's running into each other at full speed ahead. And it's rough. Yeah. And, really um, rough. I mean, the other thing too is if you wa- if you watch the video or if you watch the the highlight of uh, the the Johansson Barry hit, basically Barry's coming across and he's opening up his body to shoot. And if you watch it, there's really no way for Johansson to hit him that's not going to impact his head. The way he's coming at him, he's coming basically shoulder to like Johansson's entire front. Yeah. You know, so like to me and, and and this is always hard because you do have to be careful not to just watch slow motion. You have to try to watch it in full speed and watch the full context of the play, etc. Um, but it's it's really tough, man. I mean, it's tough to see, like, did Johansson have enough time to avoid that hit in slow motion? It looks like sure he did. But then when you watch the full the full speed. You know, there's a lot more benefit of the doubt, I think, uh, to that yeah. player. So I, I, I don't know. I, th- I think at the end of the day, it seems like there has to be some kind of massive overhaul if they're actually going to do something about 
hits to the head, potential brain injury, et cetera. There has to be some type of change. Like I'm not saying they need to, you know, take all of checking out of hockey or something like that, but it does seem like there has to be some kind of paradigm shift. Um, if, if we're to get there. So we'll see what happens. I I absolutely agree. And, you know, yes, I think, I, I think ultimately the video helps, right? Like it, like it probably does clarify some things, but I don't know. I just feel like at the end of the day, we're still looking at four instances of guys getting getting nailed in, in the noggin. And mm-hmm. I don't – okay, yes, you're breaking it down more. Congratulations. You've figured out that it's, you know, hey, this, this is the criteria, and here's where we're making this decision. I mean, yeah, he glances off the shoulder, and then he hits one guy's head, and then another guy gets backed into, and it's just – either way, they're high hits that, that are getting – these guys in the head. So like, that's, I feel like what, you know, like if, if it's, if it's a cross check to the midsection first and then the head gets hit, I understand you want to raise your hands to be like, wait a minute, the head stuff was a duh, duh. but uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, you, you, you're right. The yeah. paradigm shift has to be made because there's, there's, these guys are going to get hurt and it's going to suck mm. for everybody. All right, so um, before we wrap up another episode, we are going to do uh, some some quick some quick eulogies for the the four playoff teams that are no longer with us. So sit back, relax, and uh, let's say goodbye to, uh, to to the fallen. So one of the teams we have to say goodbye to is the New Jersey Devils. They went into the series with not really high hopes of, of winning the series and it turned out to be correct. They had one glorious moment where it looked like they belonged in this matchup, but unfortunately Taylor Hall can only carry you so far. So rest in peace, New Jersey. We will see you next year. The next team we eulogize today are the Kings of Los Angeles. In every kingdom, there is always a moment where a soldier decides that he has the ideas to lead a kingdom, often a knight, separating himself from the pack. But, fo- but, but lo and behold, that knight must overcome a specific set of challenges in order to be knighted and then obviously ascend their way to the throne. The Golden Knights set their sights on the west and saw that kings were in the way. These knights scrapped together a team that in no way should have been what they are. Dominating. Ruthless. Scary. Mind-puzzling. And quite matter-of-factly, just downright what? (laughs) So, just like any fabled story, as with Lancelot and Arthur, the knights and kings did battle. And the kings put up as much of a fight as they could, but old age had already claimed them. Several years removed from their cups, they fell at the hands of their mighty steeds and their mighty lords, the Golden Knights. So rest in peace, kings. Your legacy so far has been cemented. May you compete again eh, like five years from now. (laughs) Also, we need to say goodbye to the Anaheim Ducks. Outside of Anaheim, almost nobody is sad to see this team go. Most hockey fans have been cheering this. 
And the only thing that they wanted was perhaps for the series to go a little bit longer so that they could find new ways to be embarrassed by the San Jose Sharks. You may pay your final respects to the Anaheim Ducks team, who were all collected in a series of coffins, as you would expect. And Corey Perry, who rests on a bed of dirty diapers. Fairly well, Ducks. And lastly, today, we mourn the passing of a team of individuals who are constantly being handed everything. They were handed the duo of Suter and Parise. They were handed the, the greatest little Nino, the Nita Rider. And they were given Eric Stahl. Somehow a phoenix rising in the landscape of playoff hockey. But the state of hockey couldn't do what they wanted to do because the above the state of hockey, there's a country of hockey. That's right, several provinces making up the wondrous land known as Canada. And so the mighty Jets from Winnipeg, whose sights are on only Stanley's Cup, saw Winnipeg and said, we will bring you glory. We will bring you triumph. And so they went to Minnesota and slaughtered the wild as the wild animals that they are. The Jets buzzed the tower. The Jets had every single Independence Day reference exhausted. Today, they celebrated their Winnipeg Day. So the wild fell as they were prophesied to do because the Jets are magical and flying high. And we, we, we now commit them to this earth to once again be brought about by another fun coaching change, which I'm sure will happen soon, to try and figure out why they just can't get anything done. So deepest rests to you, the wild of Minnesota. And that brings us to the end of another episode of For Sure. This is episode number 21, which is uh, pretty exciting. We are into our our third series of 10, which is pretty cool. So uh, thank you very much for listening. The only thing we have left, as we always do, is the Doc Emmerich Verb of the Week. Thank you, Peter. Well, it's the playoffs, right? So... We got to have a good one set here. And I've been toiling, toiling and toiling. But now I I, I found it. I found the one that is befitting for the playoffs. Are you ready for this one? I I am, yes. Pitchfork! (laughs) I have no idea where he's supposed to use this. (laughs) I'm trying. I'm now, I'm like throwing my head around in in a room. Uh, It's probably not good since we just just talk about head injuries. But Mm. sometimes something shakes loose. But pitchfork. I'm I, I'm I struggle to think because what you're just like like in the corner trying to like a, like a, there's a scrum like they're trying to keep it along the boards and like you throw your stick in there to try and jostle the puck loose like is that really a pitchfork thing because I see a pitchfork and I think of brick in uh, Anchorman yeah you know I killed a man with a trident yeah stabbed a guy in the heart you know so I like I see pitchfork but Doc said it so we have to say it somehow so. We were in the corners with this one. Pitchfork! Mm-hmm. And I assume it just becomes a, uh, you know, um, a scoring chance or some sort of rush the other way. But after you pitchfork something, it seems really a final, right? A really final thing to say, yes. don't you think? Absolutely. Yeah, he's pitchforked. And that's the end. So fitting enough, we use the verb that means it's the end. So pitchfork! <laughs> 
So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we will have another episode for you uh, two weeks from now. Uh, so if you want to follow us on social media, you can find both of us on Twitter. I am at P Flynn hockey. Jay is at the roar underscore 24. Our guest today, Joshvina Shaw is at ice hockey stick. Um, and don't forget that you can, uh, go into our, our merchandise store and buy a for sure t-shirt or some other type of apparel, uh, a pillow, a wall hanging, a notebook, a sticker, something. Uh, so in order to get there, the easiest way is tinyurl.com slash F-E-R-S-H-I-R-T. That is for shirt. Enjoy. Have a wonderful uh, time. And uh, we will be back at you in two weeks to update you on what has happened in the playoffs and much more. <laughs>